You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yelton, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, John McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey, everybody, welcome in. See you. Cancel that, James. Hang on one second. What about the assistance under the most pressure on both sides? Okay, yeah, I've got plural assistance here. So okay. We'll, yeah, right. we'll, 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 we'll hit more than one. Okay, for sure. Um, all right, three, two, one. Hey, everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in as always and subscribing and downloading and downloading us and searching us on the Odyssey app wherever it is you get your podcast. We really appreciate it. My name is Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610. I'm joined as always by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, and our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com. John McClain. John, we're getting closer and closer to training camp. I can smell it. It's almost here. I can taste it. You can smell it. We can't wait. Welcome Imagine to how much fun we're going to have on this podcast with James Jackson, our producer Welcome extraordinaire, when we get close to camp Welcome and we get into camp. And during the season, I'm so excited Welcome about it. And this might, I'd, have, I'd have to count them. I to think this will be my 48. 48 training camp. And that was the first one was 77. Okay. I mean, your players say it all the time. Like, yeah, it was two a days. And there were, what what were there? Six preseason games. It was six preseason games. It was was a week with rookies. Yeah. Then you, then you would, it would be nine weeks overall. Week with rookies, two weeks of the best. First day they would do two, three hour practices with full pads, full contact. And it was, I tell players today, you, you'd call for your mommy if you had to do that, and they don't believe me, but that's the way it was. They thought the harder they – the players didn't work out all year round. They didn't have facilities with cafeterias and great, great weight rooms. When I started on the Oilers, they had one bench press and a few barbells, and that was it. If you go back and look at a lot of the tape, guys might weigh 250, was a lineman, maybe a tackle, 270, and they were thin because none of them it wasn't big on weight programs. And so they started working out in June because a lot of them had to work other jobs. And uh, then when they get to get to camp, coaches are like, all right, we're going to toughen them up. We're going to get them in shape. My first camp, 36 players spent a night in the hospital in Nacogdoches getting uh, IV'd because of heat problems yeah and i guess the solution wasn't to do less in the heat the solution, uh, you just I, my guess is john those 36 players were viewed as not being tough enough back in remember the day. when bear bryant had junction yes and back then 
You couldn't have water. If you needed water during a practice in the heat, you were a wimp. And there's a good oh, chance you're going to get cut. Isn't it amazing? Players didn't die right and left. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. When did it, and we're going to get into the Texans coaching staff here in a second, but this is interesting to me. Like, John, by through your memory of this, you said this is your 48th training camp, and that's how it was at the outset for you, like with the Oilers and whatnot. Like, at what point, if you go back in your mind, like what point do you think it crossed over to where it was? it became – was it a, just a gradual thing or was there a, a, a clear shifting point for you, like either with a team that you covered or an era in football? I know there was a period of time where there was no team in Houston in the late 90s where I feel like that just might have been a time where things were starting to shift maybe more in favor of players and the workload and whatnot. Can you can you remember like when this actually like felt like it shifted for you to where it wasn't the insanity that you just paint the picture you just painted? Yeah, that was in the mid to late 90s. I forgot, in 87 during the player strike in which they signed replacement players because they weren't members of the union, they made those poor guys have three-a-day practices. Three-a-day? Three-a-day practices. And uh, uh, the Oilers had Jerry Glanville as the head coach, the ultimate tough guy. He killed those poor guys. And the veterans would go on the train track – the outside the practice fields and scream and yells at yell at the scabs for trying to take their jobs. And when their buses would pull up, the veterans would on strike would throw bottles and rocks and stuff at their buses and just kill them. And then that was bad enough. Then the poor guys had to go out on the field and practice three times in the Texas heat. Unbelievable. Okay. Yeah. So what was worse practice or getting things thrown at you? What a life that was, huh? Oh my goodness. (laughs) They they got things thrown at the bus because when the bus opened, they had guys with guns get off to make sure they didn't throw them out when they actually could hit them. And in, in the first game, the Oilers played was during the strike of 87 in Denver An AFL CIO targeted that game at mile high is one of the ones they were really going to pick it. So they were, they were expecting violence. I rode on a bus uh, with that had machine gun guards, not machine guns. They had big guns. They sat up in the front and every bridge we went under to get to mile high, they had guys across the top with guns. And I'm thinking, my God, what were they expecting? Yeah, no kidding. There's never been, Anything like that. And during that game, which the Oilers won, the legend of Eugene Seal was born. Any Oiler fan listening and watching knows who I'm talking about. Construction guy, 5'11", 260, working a jackhammer on the construction crew, made the team, played a few years, and was a fan favorite on special teams. Wow. Wow. All right, John, let's get to this. Uh, let's get to this coaching staff here. Let's start at the top with D'Amico Ryans. And you covered D'Amico as a player every snap that he played here in Houston. Of all the things that embodied D'Amico as a player in your mind, John, what do you think translates most from his playing days that he can take over to being a head coach of this football team? One of the things I liked, his locker was where the linebackers are now, and you could go in and talk to him. But D'Amico didn't hide out. He didn't go into the weight room or the trainer's room or the cafeteria or the lounge to get away from us. He was there, and he was always informative, and he was always so professional and he was analytical. And I used to tell him, man, you got, you might think about trying to be a coach 
after your career was over. And I'd met him in 06, second day he, after he was drafted, they brought him in. But he was ju- he just sounded like a coach from the beginning. Now, he didn't, he didn't inspire people in, in interviews like he does today when he's talking about the team, the opportunity. He's more careful when he's talking about his players. But uh, he had coach written all over him. Didn't surprise me at all that he became a coach. I had no idea he'd be a head coach. And, of course, I had no idea he'd be coming back to where he started his career, and that's one reason it makes everything even more exciting. How do you think he'll do, John? I, th- I think he'll I think he'll be great with the teaching part of the game because he was such a good position coach, such a good coordinator, you know, the hands in the clay kind of thing. Even you see some of the videos the teams put out, he himself has, has hated when the indie part of the practice ends, independent, you know, independent one-on-one tutoring. He loves that stuff. Um, so the teaching part of it, um, I, you know, I think handling the ups and downs, I think he's going to be really good. He's a good leader. How do you think he will handle the, the, the in-game stuff, the tactical stuff, uh, the chess game that goes on during a game? You never know until a guy has those responsibilities. Now, he's going to call the defense. That's going to give him extra uh, pressure. But he'll have, he'll have multiple people up in the press box in a coach's booth that he can rely on for advice. And uh, one of the guys I'd want up there is Nick Casario. You know, he did it uh, at, at New England. If Bill Belichick thought enough of him to have him in the booth communicating with Josh McDaniels, uh, and he, he did it here with David Culley his first year. And uh, last year he was up there if he was needed. And uh, so I'd like to have Casario up there. And I guarantee you they got a plan. And uh, I think D'Amico will listen to people. But he's a very smart guy. He's very football savvy. But every head coach, just about every head coach, has an issue now and then. You know, Andy Reid had more clock management problems than anybody. He got ripped. Then he gets Patrick Mahomes. Nobody talks about his clock issues anymore. And so D'Amico, I think, will be smart enough to get help. And that will be important. All right, let's move to the coordinators, John. We've got Bobby Slowick, the OC. We've got Matt Burke, the DC. And we've got uh, Frank Ross, the special teams coordinator. I want to do kind of best case, worst case with each of these guys. So let's start with Slowick. What do you think the best case for Slowick this season is as a coordinator? And what's the worst case scenario? First of all, they got to, they've got to establish the run to take the pressure off of C.J. Stroud. So if Stroud uh, develops the way they hope, and he's not going to the Pro Bowl as a rookie. But if he develops the way they want, that's what's most important. Even though Gerard Johnson will spend more time with Stroud than anybody, Slowick's the one calling the plays. And he's yeah, he turned down a chance to stay with Kyle Shanahan where he'd have a quicker chance to be a head coach. But Kyle calls the plays. To come here so he can call the plays, experience the ups and downs of a play caller, and his dream is to be a head coach. And Kyle Shanahan says he will be a head coach, but it's going to take longer here because they're not as good as the 49ers, and that says a lot about him. So they need a balanced offense. They're not going to be the 49ers in the first season, but we got to see parts of the 49ers, the running game, the blocking across the board till the whistle stops, and we go, aha, that's what they're trying to do. That's what we saw 
under Gary Kubiak, and hopefully we'll see it again. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think like the best case is they they look like a, an ascending version of what this offense has been in so many other places. They don't have to be a top five offense. They're not going to be a top five offense anytime soon. But we start to see things where it's fing- the fingerprints of the Kubiak-Shanahan system are all over this thing. I think the worst case is that we're talking about C.J. Stroud like they're talking about Zach Wilson up in New York. You know what I mean? Like, okay, this <laughs> all the S2 stuff that was talked about – all the things about his improvisation or lack thereof other than the Georgia game, like all that, like all of that comes back to roost. And it's like, all right, it was right there in front of us. All the things that we were criticizing CJ Stroud for are all the things that are making him struggle right now. I agree. And and if he struggles, the offense is going to struggle. Absolutely. And they don't need one of the worst offenses in the NFL for, they weren't one of the worst in passing with Watson here in his last season of 20. They didn't have a running game. They yeah. need balance. Yeah. They don't want to be one of the two or three worst offenses again. All right. What about Matt Burke? That's a curious one just because I feel like, feel like if the Texans have a good defense, D'Amico Ryans is going to get all the credit for it. And if the Texans have a bad defense, who knows who they point the finger at? Uh, but probably Matt Burke. He's he's in kind of a he's he's in kind of a no-win situation, I feel like, John. Matt he Burke. knew he knew what kind of situation he was getting sure. into. Coming here for D'Amico, uh, they haven't said he was going to call the defense, but D'Amico's going to call the defense. He's one of the best in the NFL doing it the last two years. There's no way all of a sudden he's not going to do it. Matt Burke was highly recommended by Robert Sala, who spent six years there, Jets head coach. He also was highly recommended by a guy named Watt. He was a defensive line coach at Arizona, and one of the things I learned about him I watched every episode of the in-season hard knocks to watch Watt and Hopkins. And so I saw Matt Burke a lot, saw him with Watt a lot. And Watt just thinks the world of him when he's talking on or off the record. Now, you're right, though. He'll be working with D'Amico. He'll have a big part in the game plan. And But if it works great, everybody will say D'Amico. If it doesn't, they'll say Matt Burke, but he understands it. And, uh, you know, the secondary statistically last year did well, but it's got to start up front. If they can't stop the run again, they're both going to get blamed because they have to do And I don't know what they could do because they play, can't play 13 players to be better against the run, yeah. but it's got to start there. Yeah. Uh, and then Frank Ross, the special teams coordinator, John. Your best case is probably that things just stay status quo, right? <laughs> He's been pretty damn good already. And they were best in the NFL last year. I can't wait to see Tank Dell as the punt returner. And I'll tell you the worst-case scenario for him, John Weeks has the bad snap for the first time in his 14 years. No podcast out there stands more for John Weeks than the Utopia Football Podcast. Absolutely. Second Bears. John, John's as good as it's ever been. He really is. Yeah. Never had a bad snap. If Kaimi Fairbairn. Uh, had bad had had a slump. That'd be worst case scenario. John, pick up the phone. That's John Weeks calling you to thank you for all the love that you're giving him <laughs> on the Utopia Football. Podcast. Yeah, that is him. <laughs> all right. Uh, last thing, John, before we get out of here, talking about the coaching staff, let's do an assistant on each side of the ball that you think is under the most pressure for this football. We'll each do one here. A little mini four pack of uh, assistants under the most pressure. Let's start on the offense. Which offensive coach in your mind is under the most pressure? 
Well, there's two, and uh, Gerard Johnson because he's coaching Stroud, but Chris Stroud's the new line coach because his line coach has been uh, has a terrible lack of stability. He's the fourth coach in four four years. I think we know who the starter is going to be, and and the real question is, Juice Scruggs is a rookie, Kenyon Green, his health and his performance, but the other three positions should be set. And they could have one of the best tackle tandems in the league, but they don't want to be having a fifth offensive line coach in five years. No. And since it all starts with the line, with the running game and the pass protection, I'm saying Chris Strasser. I think it's Strasser, and it's not even close. I would have had Johnson number two. I'll throw Ben McDaniels in there too, John, just because of the youth in that wide receiver room and the lack of a big, big play wide receiver. Um, that uh, And the importance of the wide receivers being – uh, versatile. Versatile is probably the wrong word, but ha- making sure they got the clubs in their bag to both catch the football and block in the running game. The wide receivers are asked to do a lot more than just go run patterns, go run pass routes, catch the ball, and then make plays with the ball in their hands. So I'll throw Ben McDaniels in there as well. But I'm I'm with you. I think Johnson, Ger- Gerard Johnson, and Chris Strausser are the clear cut top two with the most pressure on them. And I think Strausser is the runaway overall on that side of the football. How about the defensive side of the football, John? Same same place. It all starts up front. You got to stop the run. You got to pressure the passer. Jox is there. Who is back for his second season. D'Amico kept him. And uh, he's got to make sure his guys perform. Because if, you, if you're not stopping the run and getting the quarterback, it doesn't matter what happens behind you. They're under a lot of pressure, just like the offensive line. Yeah, I think Cesare as well. Were you surprised they kept Jock Cesare, John? Uh, no, I don't know enough about him. Yeah. Uh, D'Amico, I'm sure that uh, D'Amico asked Nick Casario what he thought about the coaches, and then he interviewed him, and I'm guessing he liked Jacques a lot. Yeah. And he came from Buffalo, where they're one of the best teams in the league. Now they've given him some talent. He's got two rookies led by, led by Will Anderson, Jr. There'll be no excuse for this, this line not to be a whole lot better. Yeah, the only the only reason it surprised me, I don't know a lot about Cesare either. I mean, other than the defensive line was not good last year. Um, but I, the only reason it surprised me is because D'Amico comes from that side of the ball. And I figure like on that side of the ball, that if if there was ever a side of the ball in an area of the defense, the front seven where D'Amico might have a Rolodex of guys that he would want to bring in just, you know, based on his background, I thought it would be D-line. I have no feeling one way or the other if it was right or wrong to keep Cesare. The proof will be in the development, the proof, ultimately he'll be graded on his big grade. will be on the development of Will Anderson. That that's, that's his final exam, if you will. Yeah. But couldn't you and I coach Will Anderson? He's the highest rated defensive player in the draft, highest rated player by a lot of people. I respect. He's just blessed with natural talent, great work ethic. He does everything you want. Uh, Dylan, what's the fourth round picks name? Dylan, Dylan Horton. Dylan Horton, I want to see how he helps him develop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you and I could coach Will Anderson, John, but two men could. Say, sure. Will, say, Will, when the ball is snapped, get it. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Uh, all right. Uh, so that is our overview of the Texans coaching staff. And uh, back at it with the normal schedule as we are going to be a week out from training camp next week. It's going to be here before we know it. John, where can the people find all of your great, great work? SportsRadio610.com, where you and I do our podcasts every week. I write 
I've been writing two columns. When I get to camp, I'll do three. And uh, I'm on with uh, the different various hosts, including Texans Radio, five times a week. Yep, we got two podcasts a week as well. We're going to get to three when the regular season rolls around, and there's going to be plenty to cover as the Texans embark. I would say on the training camp that has probably the most exciting one since, I would say, maybe 2018, the second Greenbrier training camp where Deshaun Watson was coming into year two. This is this feels, buzz-wise, feels closest to that than anything we've experienced the last few years. So this should be a whole lot of fun as the D'Amico Ryans era embarks. John, I enjoyed it as always. Me too, Sean. Thank you. You got it. That's good stuff. John McClain, the Hall of Famer. Hey, James Jackson, our producer, uh, making sure that you guys are getting that podcast on time. Hit that Odyssey app. Download this. Hit the uh, subscribe button, I should say, so you automatically download the podcast. Uh, That is crucial as the season gets here. We appreciate everybody who keeps climbing aboard and um, making this podcast what it is and this community what it is. So we we, uh, we feel you. We appreciate that. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. We're back at it with the mailbags next week. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. The Hall of Famer John McClain for our producer James Jackson. I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will see all of you next week for more Utopia Football Podcast. Thanks for listening.